This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to see some value today. We have a superstar in the building today. She is a strategic product management specialist, a marketing leader, and the best-selling author of Beyond Product, how, to, how exceptional founders embrace marketing to create and capture value for their business. She is the one and only Jill Soley. How's it going, Jill? Oh, it's fantastic. I am excited to be here today. Awesome stuff. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? I will do my best. All righty, let's do it. As always, Startup Nation, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So, uh, Jill, if you would, first things first, let's set this party off right. Share with us your origin story on your path to entrepreneurship and how you got to this point. So, back in the in the dark ages, back in the, you know, the, the, the dinosaur ages, the 1970s, um, <laughs> my mother actually was an entrepreneur. Okay. She started a company and she wrote the software to put listings, uh, real estate listings online. Okay. So if you think like Zillow and Redfin, how you can search for your apartments today, ah, okay. back then all of that was handwritten on index cards and called people called each other from one real estate company to another. Gotcha. So my mom, super cool, my my role model, she put that stuff online. Like that's why we have those sites today. So huh. my childhood was a little bit different from most of my friends in that, you know, we had vacations where my mother brought her, um, her quote unquote portable laptop, which was... Oh, what can I even compare it to today? I mean, it was like t- the size of two toasters, you know, and <laughs> you carry that thing. Right. That was, you know, that was my role model for, for mom. Um, it didn't occur to me that, you know, women couldn't, you know, finish the sentence. Right. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I went on and, you know, went to school and I actually, my first career was in documentary film and educational media. But, you know, those were the early days, you know, soon after I graduated of the, you know, what I call the, the Wild West Web, right. um, the, the World Wide Web was just beginning and everyone was getting a piece of it. And I sort of wound my way back to tech through mm. that and streaming media and doing websites for PBS and discovered this product management job after okay. business school. 
Okay. And the rest is history. I worked at Adobe for years, helping them figure out services and subscriptions. I went to startups. And uh, eventually, I saw a lot of these same mistakes being made over and over again. Products failing for what I saw as the wrong reasons, like things that people could do something about. Right. And that's what eventually drove me to wrote to write beyond product. Um, and I've sort of made it my mission to, you know, to try and reduce the number of products that fail for the wrong reasons. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Before we dive into the book, because I definitely want to do that for sure. I want to ask you about your t- your your time at uh, MIT. Startup Nation, uh, Jill went to, no, like I just said, MIT, give me a second. And she's in Bachelor's of Science in Mass Media Arts and a Digital Business Strategy as well. So just kind of take me back to MIT, uh, if you would, Jill. Any fun stories you want to share? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of stories, some that I can share here, some that I can't. Fair enough. Um, the, you know, the maybe not so fun, right? My introduction okay. actually to MIT, mm. uh, my first year, right? It was hard. I mean, gotcha. you know, all that you take all these kids who do really well in high school and you right. put them in a college where, I mean, I was surrounded by people much, much smarter than me. And um, all of a sudden, I mean, I thought I was going to be a math major and I failed my first calculus exam. Oh, <laughs> stupid me thought I could pass out of Calc 1, right? Right. Um, so it was definitely, it was eye-opening. Um, what I loved about MIT was that I learned to sort of not take people just at face value. Um, every person I met had something they were passionate about. And you gotcha. just sometimes had to dig a little bit. But when you found that thing, oh my God, their eyes would light up and they would mm. teach you about all kinds of incredible things. Right. And right. so that was just really eye-opening to me uh, as a person. But there was definitely sort of the, the, uh, the hard part and the stuff that I had to sort of learn early, frankly, about just kind of being a female was there was definitely this, um, my class was 35% female. Mm-hmm. And there were people who'd be like, you got in because you were a woman. You got in because you were a woman, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, and so I learned early, which was a good lesson for me in tech. And one of my professors, to his credit, actually sort of in one of the first exams, looked and did some analysis based on gender lines, as well as, you know, just the grading. And he was like, yep, no, not at all, guys. I got news for you. Every woman here she deserves to be here. So right. it was, it was pretty cool. They were- I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that, but very powerful stuff. I appreciate that. So I want to ask you this once again, Startup Nation, we're talking with Jill Soley, best-selling author of Beyond Product. And we want to talk about that book right now. Jill, I was going through your book and I love it because it really speaks to how you can have a great product, but if nobody knows about it, you know, through marketing and stuff like that, or if you're just trying to copycat somebody else's marketing strategy, then you can really get lost in the sauce. And so Startup Nation, you know, she interviewed over 50 different people, uh, business leaders, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs, investors uh, from LinkedIn, Box, Slack, HubSpot, Zendesk, Mercado, and so many more, uh, you, know, you know, interviewed them for the, her book. And you say you asked them 50 different people, what is marketing? You got 50 different answers. Can you share with us some of those answers, if you would? You know, they were all, it wasn't that they were sort of way off base. Right. Um, but marketing is 
especially in today's age, it's very complex, right? There are many mm-hmm. different parts to marketing and depending sure. on the stage of your company, depending on what it is you need to do, marketing is a different thing, right? It's, right. it's PR, um, it's, you know, demand gen, right? It's, it's brand, it's all these different things. And so depending on their lens, they would give us a different piece of what it was. Uh, there were some great definitions, right? It's it, that, um, you know, it's about um, uh, persuading somebody to do something, right? Which, you know, begins to get at sort of, you know, what all these, how these pieces fit together. Right. But the definition that, um, uh, that I really like for marketing is that it's really about the two-way communication between mm. your company and your customer. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, no, it, it, in the beginning part of the book, you, you talk about that, that many people are resistant to, to marketing and, and things of that nature. And one of the things that you pointed out was that like a lot of times that they say that it can happen later. And you talk about in the book, quote, uh, marketing is something that starts as the twin of your idea. The two product and marketing go hand in hand. One should not exist without the other. So I'm curious about that because, you know, like, I can see why some people would say the marketing can happen later because, you know, you're still trying to figure out the product, like trying to fine tune and this, that, and the other, but you say that it should really start uh, right then and there or even the beginning. So how would that work, Jill, if you don't mind me asking? So I think it comes down to the definition of marketing, right? If you think about marketing as plunking down a ton of money on Facebook ads, well, by, by all means it should wait, right? Gotcha. But, um, marketing is product is part of marketing. Everything that is about the product is, is part of marketing. And frankly, understanding the customer and the market is part of marketing. And that's the piece, frankly, that a lot of, of startup founders miss is that they've got this idea and they think, you know, it's brilliant. They talk to a few people or they know they need it and they go for it. Right. And they don't start with the market and really validate that idea and deeply understand the pain of the market and the needs of the market and how the market buys and how they learn about things and so forth. And that's the part of marketing that has to start early because all the, any learnings, all of that stuff that you should be learning at that point are just as critical to your go-to-market and making your business a success as building that product. Gotcha. Uh, quick follow, if I if I may, uh, because you know I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I'm curious how it works for like people who are trying to be disruptors. Does it work the same way? Like if if you're trying to bring something brand new, or at the very least, you no, know, not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but just a, a fresh new perspective where it does, or your intended is intention is to disrupt the market. Does that still kind of work the same way? It totally does. So- okay. It's funny though. That it's funny. Um, you know, it's a great question. Um, everyone points to Steve Jobs and is like, "Of course, Steve Jobs did it." Blah blah blah. Right. You know, of course, Apple has probably one of the biggest market research departments around, right? Right. Um, the the point there though is when you are talking to customers or potential customers, it's not about necessarily taking what they say at face value. It's not about asking them, "Do you want this widget?" You're right. When you're building something disrupted, they may not know they want this, that widget, right? Mm -hmm. But it's about 
some kind of, it's about having that sort of understanding, being able to read between the lines and ask the questions that would point to that need. And I, I, I can give you an example of what I mean. Right. Um, when I was at Adobe in the early days of the iPad, um, you know, our customers were designers. Uh, okay. They were, you know, creative professionals who always carry around a sketchbook, right? Anytime, if you know some designers, you know, they always have, have that moleskin with them, right? Right. And um, we thought there is a lot of potential here for this, for this device to be up, you know, to be their, their digital sketchbook. Now there was resistance. And if you ask them a pretty, almost to a person they were not interested because they loved the feel of the paper and so forth and they, the way that the pen worked on the paper and the right. sketching and so forth, right? But what we identified was um, a painful part of their workflow where whenever they want to use those sketches, they have to um, make, a, you know, make a copy of it. They have to scan it into their computer and then sort of draw over it or they have to do it a second time or whatever, and it's a pain in the butt. And we knew that the technology wasn't there yet, but when we got our drawing tools and the, the quality of these devices and the pens to a point where they're really good, um, a few months ago, I was in a, um, I was giving a talk and in the back of the room, there was a designer sitting there sketching on a, you know, on an iPad with his pen, right? right. And it's now become really commonplace. Right. So right. you have to be able to sort of look ahead and figure out and find the problems that you can solve that will take them there. Does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and, and like you said, doing that, you know, that, that work on the, on the front end definitely does allow you to do that. So I appreciate all of uh, that, Jill, for sure. I, I want to ask you this because, you know, you also give like tips for market research and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that you talked about uh, was don't lead the witness. Right. And, and I, it made me think of like science. Right. So like you, you want to make the, uh, a science experiment as pure as possible. You don't want to kind of have a hand in it. So that way it kind of, you know, smudges the outcome or whatever the case may be. So and I, and I understand that, like, if you hire a marketing firm or something like that, that it's kind of easy to have a third party not do that. But if you're doing that market research yourself, uh, I imagine that that is a bit difficult uh, for you to not lead the witness because obviously you're, you want a great outcome, correct? So yes. like, how do you kind of teach and, and coach, uh, founders to kind of not do that part and to not lead the witness if you would? So that is the hardest part, especially mm. because of what we call confirmation bias, right? Gotcha. Where people are looking for confirmation of their ideas. Right. And so kind of the, the couple of key tips that I tend to give are number one, write down your questions and keep them consistent. Try and make them open-ended questions, right? So, gotcha. so it, like you can review them, maybe even have someone else review them and make sure that they aren't leading. And then um, look, instead of looking, make consciously, instead of looking for confirmation, try to disprove your hypothesis. It really is like the scientific method, right? right? You are looking for ways explicitly to disprove your hypothesis. And if you kind of change your mindset and force yourself to look that way, that can help a lot. Gotcha. You kind of force yourself to be that red team for your own product or idea. So I definitely understand that for sure. Thank you for sharing that, Jill. No, no problem. 
for sure. So you, you talk about the customer journey as well. And I love this part of the book because, you know, you, you know, far too often we're only talking about customer acquisition, get more customers, you know, scale the company in that regard. But you talk about in the customer journey that it's also important that once you acquire that customer, that the work isn't over. Kind of talk about that a little bit, if you will. Sure, sure. So um, it is much more expensive to acquire a new customer, to lose a customer and acquire a new one than to keep your customer. So it's really, really important, especially, right? We live in an age where um, there is a lot of competition for eyeballs, right? We are in a noisy world. We all have messages bombarding us all the time, right? right. It's really hard to break through that noise. Um, and there's a lot of competition, right? Within most spaces, right? Other people want your customer. Um, and given that that um, a lot of certainly in software but in a lot of in a lot of businesses we've moved to subscriptions and services right where right. you you need to keep that customer and you need to get them to to keep paying you it's not like they're buying a washing machine that they're going to have for the next 10 years right so right. you have to keep that customer happy because if you don't they're going to look around for something else so you need to pay attention. It's not enough to just get them in the door to try or to make that first purchase. You got to make sure that they're coming back and they're getting more value all the way along, right? Especially if you can get them to the point where they love, where they love your product and they are a loyal advocate, you totally win, right? They'll tell Absolutely. their friends. If they're happy, they'll tell their friends. So we're really in a world where you need to think about your relationship with your customers as a relationship and treat it right. Think about your personal relationships right. and how you treat your friends, your loved ones, et cetera. The same rules apply. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I'm so glad you, you talked about, you know, that customer uh, piece, you know, as far as like, you know, that building that relationship piece, you know, and, and it's something we talk about all the time on the startup life about how, you know, word of mouth, it, you know, really is super important, you know, and it should be part of a marketing strategy, I would imagine. Uh, but, but, but definitely, it definitely helps in uh, growing that customer loyalty and things of that nature. So I appreciate all of that. Yeah. You know, back in the, you know, mad men marketing and advertising world, right. Um, customers uh, had no power, but today mm. anyone can create a hashtag on Twitter that says delete Uber, right? That is and get their friends and get their friends, right? People can share their stories and they, they have a platform and you really, you, you, you know, this, you, you don't want them to use their platform against you, right? If anything, right. Right. You want them to tell, use that platform to tell people about the great customer support you provided or how much you help their business. Absolutely. You, you know what? Let's stay right there for just a second, because that's been quite fascinating, because that's something that, you know, like 20, just 20 years ago, the customer didn't have, you know, they didn't have that power to create a, a hashtag to, you know, to either promote a, fra a favorite brand or kind of cancel, as we kind of say, we're in a cancel culture, I, I guess, you know, a, a brand and stuff like that. You know, how does one... Uh, as a startup founder, kind of, you know, wade through those waters because, you know, a lot of times you're looking for that acceptance from the customer base, but it also can be a bit challenging or at the very least a bit daunting 
uh, when you have you know customers that are that powerful. Yeah, you know, and this usually doesn't hit you initially when you're really, really small and really new. Right. But it could, right? I mean, if right. you do something that really pisses people off, mm-hmm. um, it could, right? Right. Um, and this is where... You know, we live in an age where it used to be, you know, sort of product was a separate thing and marketing was a separate thing. Right. Service was a separate thing. You know, and that was a cost center. Right. Right. Um, those they're so intertwined today. I mean, I actually believe that instead of being separate, really, every company should have a chief customer officer, mm-hmm. customer experience officer. And all of that stuff should roll up together because in this day and age, right, customer service is, is a core um, touch point for the customer and so critical. So you got to make sure that you're being responsive. Customers expect you to be quick, that you're listening, and that you're authentic and honest with the customer in the same way that, you know, your product has to deliver what you say it's going to be delivered. It has to be authentic. And your, mes- your messaging and your marketing has to actually be authentic and support. All of that has to connect. If it's disconnected, chances are you're going to fail. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that. We just recently spoke with Blake Michelle Morgan, who's a customer futures, and she talks about that more and more companies should consider having like a chief customer officer as part of that C-suite. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, right, Real quick before we go to break, I want to ask you this, because when I, when I got your book, I, I, no, I was obviously expecting to hear about marketing and, you know, different ways to market to the customer and stuff like that. But what I wasn't expecting was, you know, a part about uh, transitioning or exiting out of the business. I thought that was very interesting. There was a part in the book where uh, a marketing uh, specialist said that they became less marketing specialists and more of a therapist during that that period. Kind of talk about how that transition uh, should look, you know, and how does marketing kind of play a role in that? You know, there is a um, marketing and, you know, communications role at every stage of the business. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, even the exiting stage, right? And every company has some kind of a, you know, exit stage at some point, right? Right. Whether you're acquired or whether you shut down or you IPO or whatever it is, there is some kind of a major transition. And that transition can be really hard, good or bad, it can be really hard for the founder, the executives and the whole team. And communication is probably the most important piece at that point, because whatever happens, everyone still has to be on the same page. And you can see, right, when there's a breakdown, I mean, think about what's happened recently with WeWork, right? Right. They had big plans, and then all of a sudden, there was a total disaster. And really, it was a communications disaster. It was a PR disaster. Right, right. right. Um, so you really, no matter how good or bad or whatever is happening, right? Everyone's sort of going through this turmoil. Change is hard and it's massive change. For sure. And so that was sort of the nature of that discussion that you got to make sure that everyone is really aligned and on the same page and dealing and knows what's happening and knows what's coming and what they can say and what they can't say and how to talk about things. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to the startup life.
This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexel series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, feel your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode of The Startup Life is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Startup Nation, Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach. They do whatever it takes for children every day and in times of crisis transforming their lives and the future we share. Startup Nation, right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis in our lifetime. It threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. Child poverty is rising. With your support, we can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. Here are some ways your support can make a difference. For just $5, you can buy a baby's first book, providing comfort and inspiring lifelong learning. And for $25, you can serve a nutritious breakfast and lunch to five out-of-school children in need. And there's many other ways you can help support Startup Nation. So go to savethechildren.org slash savekids or www.savethechildren.org forward slash savekids. So if you're ready to make a difference, Startup Nation, remember savethechildren.org. Make the change for children. The Startup Life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, vitamin D, they also included the Rodelio root, 
which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Once again, we are talking to Jill Soley, best-selling author of Beyond Product, excuse me, <clears throat> Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create Cap, Create and Capture value for their business. Now, Jill, I want to ask you this because I came across a Yahoo Finance article uh, that talked about the the uh, the scaling of influencer marketing. People are going to, you know, podcast and and you know, writing blogs and and things of that nature. And it just makes me uh it reminds me that content marketing and, and influencer marketing, I guess if it's starting to be called now, is becoming increasingly more popular, increasingly more of a way to reach uh, customers and have that customer acquisition. You know, why is that? Why are, why, why is content marketing becoming so popular these days, you think? You know, this is also back to the sort of, you know, back in the day, you know, people would just, you know, every company would put out their ads and stuff and it right. wasn't, there wasn't quite so much of everything. Right. Um, in this day and age, right, with Google and stuff, if I need something, if I have a problem, I go search for an answer. Um I don't necessarily go to the companies first, right? Mm -hmm. I look for answers to my problem and I try and figure out who can answer my question. And that's where content marketing comes in. Um, and we can start to, uh, talk a little bit about sort of content versus influencer marketing, which are related, Absolutely. certainly, but not exactly the same thing. Absolutely. Please, um, please break that down for us. But what I found is certainly that consultative sell, if you will, mm. you know, if you help me, solve my problem. That's, we talked about building relationships before. Right. Best way to build a relationship, help somebody, right? I mean, that's what networking is about and everything, right? Right. You know, it's not about shallow conversations and me telling you me, 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 me. It's about, <laughs> hey, you know what? Can I help you? Hey, you know, Dominic, I've got some suggestions for some other guests on your show or whatever it is, right? Right, right. Um, that's helpful to you. So, you know, I have this, this, problem. I've got, you know, some problems managing my customers. I'm going to go do a search online and see how other companies have done it or see, you know, what's some advice for getting started for a company like mine. And that may be then how I discover your company, right? Right. That's where it becomes really, really uh, important. And the mistake I think that companies make when they're creating content is that they've, again, they focus on the me, 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 they write about my product, right? My stuff. And I don't care about you at this point. I'm trying to solve right. my problem. So tell me about customers that have done this before. Tell me about my problem and possible solutions to my problem, right? Help me. And that may be how I, you know, begin that relationship with you and discover you, right? Right. Um, influencer marketing is interesting because um, I'm... I know that you as a company are trying to sell you, right? You're trying to sell your product. Right. So there's a certain amount of sort of skepticism I have, right? Right. But that's where the influencer marketing comes in is that when third parties, when a friend tells me about a product 
or other people in the industry tell me about it, um, then I'm more likely to listen because it's a third party. And I think that's really where the influencer marketing comes in. People who, who are respected and getting them to write content for you or write about your product or whatever it is, right? Then, right. then I'm more likely to pay attention. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I want to transition just a little bit uh, because in my show prep, I saw that you were a baseball fan. I am. So I, fan. I'm sorry. I'm a Giants fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I was just going to say you're in the Bay Area, so I imagine you're a Giants fan. Even though I did see a picture of you with a Mets hat, I feel like maybe you lost a bet or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a good friend who's a Mets fan, and I have respect for those Mets fans because... <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. Yeah, you know, they hang in there. <laughs> and there was one year a few years ago where the Giants didn't make it to the playoffs. It, the, the year prior when the Mets didn't make it, I sent my friend a Giants hat, and he wore it during the playoffs. So <laughs> when the Mets made it to the playoffs, I put on a Mets hat. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And so I'm glad we have you on the show and that you're a baseball fan because there's two questions I want to ask you. The first one is that like, and and maybe if I'm wrong, please, by all means, let me know. But like, I I played baseball, you know, sophomore year in high school. I'm a, a bit of a fringe fan, if you will. But one of the things that I do love are the players in MLB and Major League Baseball. One in particular is Mike Trout. You probably not so much because you're in the same division, but that's neither here nor there. But if there's no denying. Player. You got to respect, you gotta respect Mike, Mike Trout. Exactly. There's no denying that he's a superstar. Yep. He's a superstar, right? But one of the things that I don't understand is that, like, you know, that there, there seems to be not maybe as much marketing for Mike Trout. Like, if Mike Trout walked into a mall near my home right now, I, w- I don't know if I could pick him out, right? And so it's like, from a marketing standpoint, is there something that MLB is missing when it markets their players? Are they not marketing them enough? Are they doing it the wrong way? Kind of walk through that and kind of share your commentary and opinion on that, if you would. You know, I think that's actually kind of a tough one. And that's interesting because I feel like in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. they do market the players. Uh, Maybe not all of them, but... I mean, I'd recognize, you know, Buster Posey if I, you know, ran into him at the coffee shop or, you know, any number of the players. Um, Well, maybe from a a national standpoint, maybe that's what it is. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they focus more regionally and it's probably actually smart because this is one of the things that's been really interesting to me about baseball, right? Baseball is a business. Right. Right. Of course. Pure and simple. People get so wrapped up in it, right? Any sport, this is mm-hmm. true. But right. um, and what's interesting is it has the ability to pull a city together. I mean, remember with the Boston Marathon? Absolutely. Um, yes. with the bombing. I mean, and Boston Strong, right? The hashtag mm-hmm. Boston Strong. Right. And the um uh the Red Sox. Uh, you know, I mean, like people rallied and even people from afar rallied and supported their, their sports teams absolutely right, as a way of sort of supporting Boston. Right. And so it's interesting to me because it does sort of take on much more deeper meaning mm-hmm. for the, the, the city and the place and the people. And I think actually that's probably pretty strategic and it, you know, it's smart okay. as opposed to marketing a player 
you know, a, a New York player here or whatever. I mean, I think there's probably, um, they probably get more, um, more benefit Fair out enough. of making it sort of tying it to the place until the team moves at, at, at any rate. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I'm just always curious because I, I, I always, you know, just think like, I think Mike Trout is an amazing player. And, and I think, you know, he, you know, is very likable and things of that nature. And so I'm just always curious. I'm not an Angels fan, by the way. I just want to point that out. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just always thought that like, you know, the, the fact that, you know, that many of us who, who don't live in a major baseball market don't know who Mike Trout is, you know, I just like, I don't know, it just seems kind of weird to me. So I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. So what's interesting, I Mm -hmm. think, though, to your point, is that Mike Trout could benefit from more marketing, right? Right. And his personal brand. Right. Um, And I don't know what the contracts are with the MLB and how much control they have. My guess is that that he can only do so much. Right. But for Mike Trout, right, his he could probably make a ton more money if he had huge personal brand and had, you know, when his contract comes up and he had other he would potentially have other teams fighting for him because they might think, you know, we can get more fans to come if we have Mike Trout on our team. Right. Right. So certainly that's a place where sort of that brand um, and investing in brand would, would help him. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. One more baseball question and then we'll, 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 we'll get, you know, get off the diamond a little bit. So we all know that, you know, lately here in the news, there's issues with, you know, cheating in the Astros and video cameras and video devices or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I'm curious from a standpoint, from a branding standpoint, from a brand image standpoint, you know, th- is that one of those things that you think that can hurt uh, the Astros brand, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the months to come in the years to come or anything like that, kind of talk about when an organization uh, like the Astros or anybody else kind of goes through something like that and they have to kind of, you know, rebrand and stuff like that, you know, you know, in the business world, you know, famously Wells Fargo kind of had to do that as well. So kind of talk about that a little bit, if you would, Jill. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly curious to see what's going to happen with that because I know mm-hmm. for me as a fan, it does hurt the brand. It, it pisses me off that they did that. Right. And I wouldn't go, um, you know, pay money to go and watch the Astros. I have kids, right? This is um, MLB. It right. very much, you know, brands itself as a family sport. Right. And we go as a family to watch the giants all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, all the, you know, all of the incidents, right. We talk as a family with, with the kids about, you know, Barry Bonds and he's a cheater, right. Or when, you know, any player uses drugs and stuff, right. We talk about that with our kids, right. Mm -hmm. I don't want to celebrate any player who cheats. And so I wouldn't take my kids to go and see the Astros in the same way. And I know I will alienate some people saying this, right. (laughs) I don't support NFL. Gotcha. And I won't take my kids to go, you know, watch football games and I won't pay that money uh, to the NFL and uh, I won't let my kids play football gotcha. um, until they change the sport and, you know, make it healthy for the players. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, I do think, I think there are, there are people who won't care, but I do think there are a lot of people like me who will because it um, violates what they stand for. Gotcha. I hear that. And, and that's important, right? You know, because, you know, uh, the way people conduct business and, and stuff like that, you know, or the perception or image, 
you know, how real or you know, not real it may be. That 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 all of that matters. Uh, and, and not saying that any any fan or customer, you know, uh, feelings are not real. I'm not saying that at all. I, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, you know, uh, perception is reality. And exactly. so I guess I, I was just curious about, you know, your take and stuff like that. And I, and I appreciate your honesty and your transparency as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is very much about perception. You for know? sure. At the end for of the sure. day, perception is reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for indulging me for my sports questions. I really oh. appreciate it. I'll be happy to talk baseball with you anytime. For sure. For sure. So you I'll, come I'll, out you know, here, go to a Giants game. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you, you brought up your family. So I want to talk about them a little bit. So I, I know you have Cam, uh, you know, you talk about him in the book and you talk about your boys and stuff like that. I, I guess it's a two part question. Uh, talk about how supportive Cam has been, you know, uh, through, you know, supporting you in the book, your career journey and things of that nature. And if I were to ask your boys, you know, what you did for a living in their own words, what would they tell me? <laughs> Um, okay, we'll start with the first one. Okay. Um, uh, how supportive? Uh, phenomenally. So, um, you know, when I um, I talk to other women, I would definitely, you know, this is this is something sort of we we talk about or when I sort of you know mentor or coach young women. Got you. Uh, your partner, whoever you choose as a partner, is so critical to your success. Right. I have Absolutely. known you know, many women whose, uh, you know, husbands didn't, you know, weren't 50-50 on taking care of the kids or whatever it is, right? And um, I believe that's really important. And we definitely have a partnership, right? Where it's not that we both do 50% of every single thing, but we really share in taking care of the kids and taking care of the house and in, you know, finances and everything, right? And that's, right. that's super important it's super important to me uh, sure. and it's been super important to my career. I hear that. And we've done all permutations of childcare and working and so on and so forth. Gotcha. Um, in terms of the book. So Cam is also an author and he just published a science fiction novel. That's right. I did see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome. If you like science fiction, you got to get a copy of horse place. So it's super cool. Um, very different kind of writing. I could never, I mean, he's created these alien worlds and stuff. It's awesome. Uh, kind of talk about it a little bit. Kind of, kind of plug it a little bit. Kind of share it with us a little bit, if you would. Yeah. So my husband just published his debut science fiction novel. It's called Lab World Earth, book one, Horseplay. That sounds and exciting. It is, it is awesome. If you like science fiction, I'm actually not usually a science fiction fan, I admit it. Gotcha. Um, but I love it. It feels sort of like a movie and he has a background in video games. So it's sort of got this kind of video game action thing going on. Okay. But it's a um, near future alien science fiction novel where the aliens are sort of um, using us as R and D and some of it takes place here and it's funny and it's clever and it's smart and highly, highly recommended if you like science fiction. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And also, I, I wanted to ask you really quickly about your boys. If they were to tell me, if I asked them uh, what mom does for a living, in, the, in their words, what would they tell me? Um, I think they would tell you that I have lots of meetings and <laughs> calls. <laughs> um, it's funny. Actually, my younger son is, is doing this after-school lemonade stand class where okay. they're learning about, you know, 
product and they're learning about how to market it and stuff like that. So Uh-oh. he's getting a little bit of an idea about okay. what I do. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I should ask them. They know that they know that I have this book. They've come and heard me and listened to me speak. Right. So they've, they've got an idea, but um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to have to ask them. Gotcha. I, I came up with that question because I have a seven-year-old and, and so uh, I do, uh, I, I do the podcasting and I do a lot of mentoring. And so uh, I asked like, you know, Zoe, we're about to go. No, I got to go. I'll be right back. It's like, are you about to go teach the kids? That's when I go mentor. Or if I say I have a podcast, like, are you about to go talk on that radio thing or something like that? So uh, that's, that's, that's how I came up with that question. And so I thought it was always just a fun question to ask for sure. Yes, that's a great question. I'm going to have to, I have at various points, but I'm going to have to ask them and see what that answer is now. Okay. <laughs> awesome stuff. So, you know, in my show prep, uh, which is just very timely, this question, in my show prep, I, I, I always ask, you know, what's your entrepreneurial superpower? And so when I was doing show prep and preparing to talk to you today, Jill, uh, now I saw that you were kind of dressed up in, a, in some superhero type of uh, uniform and stuff like that. So I want to know, uh, if you would, what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why? So I think it's collaboration. I hear that. And I can tell you what I mean by that. Okay. Um, I think what I do well is that is a sort of lack of ego. I don't, mm. I don't need to have the best idea in the room. I just want, want a good idea and I don't care where it comes from. Gotcha. So uh, I think I work pretty well with others. And we live in a world where, you know, your career is a team sport. Everything we do is a team sport, right? You don't do well by doing it alone. And so I think more and more that is a really, really critical skill. And I love being surrounded by diverse perspectives with different ideas and figuring out how we can work together and leverage each of our superpowers to get to the best solution. Gotcha. I hear that. You hear the startup nation, your career is a team sport. I'm at the, I'm at the, I'm at the turn that into something. I don't know. I'm at the turn that into an episode or something. I don't know. Uh, so I appreciate your time today. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Once again, we have, we've been talking to Jill Soley, best-selling author of Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. Uh, You gave amazing value today, and we really do appreciate it. But I actually want to turn the microphone over to you because there's a founder out there that's feeling stuck in their business, or they're afraid to even start. They're probably a little afraid of the marketing they have to do for that business. Jill, if you would, kind of share with them some, uh, some words of encouragement for today. Just go for it. Just go for it. If I could go back to my 25-year-old self and give myself one piece of advice, please stop worrying. Get out of your head and just go out there and do it. Pick one thing that you can do today to move things forward and just go do it. I hear that. Thank you so much. And that's going to conclude this session of The Start of Life. Did you enjoy being on the show, Jill? Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you, Dominic. Great show. No worries. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. 
The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.